Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you're tuning in to Breakthrough Radio. This is Michelle Price here, where we're coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today. And on Breakthrough Radio, we are celebrating 10 years of talking about how to master the internal and the external strategies for business. Well, it's the third Monday of the month, and that's when we're going to hear a breakthrough tip. Your breakthrough tip is at the top of the show. Nice, short, five-minute tip. You can go take action on it right now. Now, you may have noticed all your favorite guests are off a week in January. That's because we were closed for January 1st for the holiday. So we rotated back one week for all of our guest hosts, and we'll be back on our regular schedule Mondays in February. Today, I will give you a leadership tip and do so each month. Now, our featured spot today is with Jeannie Bliss, the author of Chief Customer Officer 2.0. Our featured interview is a 30 to 35-minute conversation. That's a nice deep dive into the topic of the day to allow you to gain a much better understanding, level of knowledge, and application for your business. Then we wrap up this Monday with our Breakthrough Bite with Yard Akalu, our thought leader in the future of the workforce. The Breakthrough Bite is a 10-minute segment that's more than our tip and not as much as our featured spot because, you know, we like meeting all the learning styles of our listeners. I want to thank you for coming to listen to Breakthrough Radio. And if it's your first visit, please make sure you thank the person who told you about us. Here's the scoop. You will want to listen without distraction, and that's why you only need to write down one URL today. It's www.thebreakthroughradio.com. You know, every week you have access to a blog post that gives you the frame for the conversation for each episode. What that means is any and everything that we talk about today, something we may reference to as a resource, we link to it there. Whether it's how to reach Jeannie Yard or myself, make sure you do visit and connect with each one of us. Do more than follow. Reach out. Truly connect. Ask us a question. Engage us in conversation. And, of course, when it makes sense for your business, hire us. Well, here is our leadership breakthrough tip for January. You know, decision-making is one of the critical responsibilities for leaders. And we, when we think of uh, what makes someone a great leader, one characteristic that comes to mind is decisiveness. We don't envision successful leaders standing around appearing unclear or uncertain. Instead, we view them as people who are able to quickly arrive at their decisions and communicate their goals to others. And leaders then have to make challenging decisions such as what direction to move their company, whether to bring on talent for that next phase of growth, how to give solid feedback that both encourages and corrects behavior, and then who and when to trust others' expertise and their decision-making. You know, being able to balance emotion with reason and make decisions that positively impact themselves, their team, their customers and investors, and their strategic partners are all important to leaders today. You know, making good decisions in difficult situations, it's no small feat. Because of these types of decisions involve change. They involve uncertainty and anxiety and stress and sometimes the unfavorable reaction of others. Timing is key when you make decisions. You need to gather data, but not too much. So the first 
And the most important component of decision-making is self-confidence. If you're confident in your mental capabilities and how you envision the world around you, then you will have no problem in analyzing a situation and making a decision you can stand for, better or worse. That leads to the second element, the ability to be analytical. You know, the value of uh, analysis cannot be overstated because it allows the person to systematically break down the situation and see its individual parts for what they are, and that allows them to provide a thorough overview. Thoroughly, a major part of decision-making is the ability to think critically. You know, the great value of critical thought can be traced all the way back to the philosopher Socrates. He advocated that critical thought and self-reflection are major components of what it is to be human. Finally, the last two attributes of being a decisive person are understanding the value of research and the ability to manage conflict within yourself, within your belief structure, and with and amongst others. One must be able to nip things in the bud before they grow and turn into invaluable and possibly destructive forces within the workforce. All of these components make up a decisive behavior techniques and the flow out of an overall orientation toward action and an assumption of risk. You know, these components do encourage individual development through self-awareness as well as skill acquisition and improved competence. So, yes, it's important that you as a leader have a deep comprehension of self-awareness, self-management, as well as trusting your intuition or your gut are all part of the makeup of a great leader. So today we want to ask you to think about using two simple questions to guide you in a practical manner when making decisions. So here they are. Do you know what you want your outcome to be? Is your activity moving you closer to it, further away, or irrelevant to it? And interestingly enough, what happens is Sometimes we get so involved in all the components of what has to happen with decision-making, we forget to consistently ask ourselves throughout that process, what's the outcome? Are we moving closer, further away, or is what's happening right now irrelevant? So that is our Breakthrough Leadership Tip today. We look forward to hearing feedback from you on how you put that into action and what you're going to do with it. Uh, and gosh gee, go out there and really be mindful of how you're leading in 2018. Now, in our last feature episode, we talked with Dr. Patty Fletcher, the author of Disruptors. Now, a big company that's been a disruptor throughout history is Ford. How will you follow Ford's lead and be more strategic in how you create value internal as well as external customers. You know, expectations have changed, and that means you need to find ways to change with them. And one of those changes in the game of buying for business, no matter what industry you set. Now, it's why having a buyer journey map has become mandatory if you want to succeed and grow. This is exactly what Growth Hacking CMO does with their clients when they're approached and asked for help to grow your business and your revenues. Growth Hacking CMO are masters at crafting that roadmap and then showing clients how to structure their execution with precision. You know, defining what is important to customers today and using analytics to see how their customers are making their buying decisions is a savvy way to prepare for their future needs and to stay relevant. And when you know what is valuable to your customer, you can use that to capture their attention and have it be welcomed. Whether you have 10 or 10,000 customers, your buyer journey map saves you time, money, and headache. It is your sweet spot in business, one that can help you generate profits and gain traction over your competitors. So connect and discover how growthhackingcmo.com can help you do that for 2018. Now, I'm going to hold my hand up here and say I'm going to have to click on something I'm not used to doing live during the radio show because I'm not seeing... Um, people on the switchboard. So let me 
see what's going on. Okay, there's no email message saying that we will be late. Uh, let's try refreshing the switchboard in case there's technology challenge. And I'm not seeing anything happen there. So now we are at a very interesting and exciting impasse. I want to introduce our featured guest today, but she's not on the switchboard yet. So I'm wondering if Yard happens to be listening, and if he does, I would love you to call in, and we will just try to flip the script today. Since she looks to be running late, we could do your segment to while we are waiting for Jeannie to show up. Let me also see if I can possibly message him while I'm trying to talk and think out loud at the joys of doing live radio. <laughs> So one question I have for you guys is, what did you do this weekend that allowed you to move yourself forward uh, with your business and your goals for 2018? That would be fascinating to find out. So let me see if I can type here. Can you come on now, our guest? I'm sensing 2019 is going to be a very interesting year for us. You know, I think in the 10 years that I have been doing um, the radio show, this has not happened but maybe twice. Okay. So let me do a quick introduction. It looks like Ginny has made it to our switchboard. Fantastic. You know, one of the, the cool and fascinating things is this is Ginny's second appearance on Breakthrough Radio. You know, she pioneered the chief customer offer position, holding the role for over 20 years at Lands in Allstate, Kohler, Banker, Mazda, and Microsoft. And since 2002, she has led Customer Bliss, a leading customer information company, where she helps companies achieve customer-driven growth with clients such as, such as Johnson & Johnson, Brook Brothers, Costco, and Kaiser Permanent, among others. And, you know, she is a worldwide keynote speaker and the co-founder of Customer Experience Professionals Association. So, you guys, please join me in welcoming Jeannie Bliss back to Breakthrough Radio. How are you doing today, Jeannie? Hey, I'm good. So nice to be on here again with you. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. I was sitting here as I was making the introduction, and in the building next to us, uh, the landscaping people decided to bring a um, – uh, oh, darn, now I'm trying to think of the name of that thing. They're they're out there with uh, oh, that thing where they're like uh, a chainsaw. I'm like, seriously? Oh, so great timing. I know. <laughs> Oh, yes, 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 the joy of law noise. <laughs> yes, it is. So, you know, one of the things that, that we discovered in our conversation last year is there is just one, no way, that all of the cool things that affect uh, any company or startup in wanting to understand how to work with their customers better and how to have really have a customer-driven growth engine can happen in an hour. And, of course, today we only have about 30 or 35 minutes. But what surfaced from that conversation is how important it is to be able to tell your customer's story and understanding what customer mapping is. So that's that's the direction we'd like to take our conversation today, and who knows, we may talk a little bit more about it in 2019, because I have a feeling this topic is going to expand versus contract. Yes, it actually is. You know, I mean, one of the things that happens when a term or a movement becomes in the marketplace, right, it becomes a word or a term people are using is there also comes with it some misunderstanding and some misfiring. So uh, my goal would be to help people get focused on this instead of just going out and doing mapping because it's the thing to do. Do it in a focused way and for the right reasons and uh, stage the approach to doing the work. Well, you know, and it's funny because the the uh, subhead that I actually had in today's blog post that, you know, we always create to kind of give everybody a frame of the conversation for each 
segment of our episode is that telling the stories of your customers is often a botched strategy. And I know that probably um, made a few people really, really uncomfortable, but that was the whole point. So many times what I've noticed every time we try to have these kind of conversations with businesses is their understanding of what telling the customer story is and the reality of what telling the customer story is has a huge chasm between it. <laughs> That's totally right. And, and you know, I mean, we've kind of overcomplicated it in some ways as well. Um, and so I'm glad. I mean, that's very, that's actually very insightful of you. Well, let's, let's start laying a little bit of a foundation in case listeners who uh, tuned in today uh, did, have not had an opportunity to hear our initial conversation. Give people just uh, a, a short uh, understanding of what does it mean to be a chief customer officer and why is that an important uh, component to business for it to be successful as well as profitable today? Sure. The chief customer officer role or chief experience officer, you know, there's a lot of titles that mean the same thing. Um, sometimes the CMO is taking on the work, but the point of the work is that the silos don't organically unite themselves. For as long as leaders, CEOs, board of directors have been saying, be customer focused, everybody chooses to be customer focused, but they, they, the starting point is their silo or the KPIs or their mission that's on their scorecard or within their operating strategy. And as a result, people are working hard, but they're working hard separately. So the way to think of a chief customer officer, in fact, the name of my podcast is the human duct tape, or you can think of that person as the glue, is to unite the organization to take a comprehensive view of the journey the customer's having with you, but more importantly, what the customer's trying to accomplish and deliberately build the experience to help the customer achieve what they need so they get value from you and unite the silos to deliver a one-company experience. And, you know, one of the things that I notice, uh, Jeannie, is that it seems to be really hard no matter what role you have in a company, even if you think that you're customer-focused, to kind of put in the back of your mind instead of the front of your mind what needs to happen in order to create that value. What have you discovered over time of, of helping company after company to shift the thinking that their internal team has in order to help them really understand how to step into that and embody that so that they're taking the right kind of actions and the creating uh, everything from a good foundation? Yeah, great question. And, and you know, what, what we found is, it's to your point, this has got to start with kind of rethinking even what the work of the organization is. Again, really well-intended people. Everybody's focusing these days, of course, on the customer. But even with the focus on the customer, we start from the internal point of view. What do we want to get from the customer? What do we need to get done for the customer? And so one of the first things we actually do has to do with defining the customer's journey and what they're trying to accomplish. Now, you don't have to go crazy into journey mapping, but this is really first just defining and have your customer involved in the stages or the different missions they need to accomplish as they interact with you. And just by redefining that from the customer's words, what they're trying to accomplish, that's the first step because you need to recalibrate the work of the organization to be about helping the customer achieve things and defining it in a very simple way that also starts – becoming the language of leaders and the language of the organization. So when we think about that, Jeannie, and we're looking at what that could look and sound like, are you saying it's important to bring the customer to the table while you're crafting out this? You betcha. You know, sorry, you betcha. I don't think I've ever said that word. Yes, absolutely, because what happens is, again, really well-intended, 
if you're defining the customer's journey and they're not there telling you, here's what I want to accomplish, then again, in a very well-intentioned way, you're, you're building something that may or may not be what the customer needs, but rather what you assume or think they need, um, again, from a, a well-intentioned place, but it's about the internal perspective and what the company thinks the customer needs versus what the customer tells them that they need. So the first thought that comes to mind when we start talking in this direction is I can hear some companies go, but we've learned focus groups aren't really the best place to get information. And then the other thought is, how do you invite, how do you decide what customers to invite to the table? I mean, what I've noticed is the startup world seems to be really, really good at this. It's the enterprise world that tends to have a little more challenge with what this looks like. And I don't know if it's because there's such a big ship and they've done it a different way for so long or if they're just afraid to bring the customer to the table. What have you learned? Well, you're right. It's not about a focus group. The days of sitting behind a mirror and watching customers talk um, and then having a report written up, again, I think there's a, there's a place for that in some environments perhaps as you are defining a product more clearly or whatever. But what we are doing is actually bringing the customer at the table, in, in most cases when we do it with the leaders of the organization, and, you know, you have to have what we call, we're calling fearless listening. By stage of the journey, what are you trying to accomplish? How do you even define the stages? How is it going today? And if leaders are willing to have this conversation, and it's not a one-way uh, piece of feedback, we're not asking the customers to just give us their feedback, but we're, we're coaching leaders to engage in a conversation why do you feel this way? What's happening? What do you need? How do you feel? And out of that comes the innovation. It's not about validating what you're doing, but rather understanding the customer's life and what they need, and that's the flip. A lot of the original focus group was more about validating. This is a totally different approach, which is about understanding, learning, appreciating, listening hard, being there to hear the emotion in somebody's voice. That changes everything. You know, I can totally see where in in doing something like this with both client and customer, it's always been really easy for me to pick up in their change in energy or their change in tone or their change in, in passion. But I think it's because I'm a third party and I'm not – um, as love with in love with who they are or what they offer, and another thing I notice is sometimes the the company, even though they're sitting there, their leadership is sitting there listening. Sometimes they miss those cues. Sometimes they're so focused on it. Kind of reminds me of of the networking situation where people are almost waiting to talk <laughs> instead of listening to understand. Um, what have you been able to um, either use as questions or help coach clients to know how to walk around the table and really tune in that, as you call it, fearless listening, um, whereas in the past, you know, it's not always been an easy behavior for people to step into because it's an unfamiliar one. Well, that's right, and, and that's why we actually facilitate these conversations. When we, you know, this gets into this conversation of journey mapping, and it really needs to be a co-creation experience. There's a lot of tools out there and companies doing great things as well to make this a co-creation experience. And one of the first things we do is this conversation with leaders, um, but it's a first step, and this is primarily a step to engage leaders and to start the culture change, as you mentioned. And the way that we do it, there's a lot of ways to do it, is we'll first have a session with the employees of the organization because you need the employees doing the work to help you define and understand uh, what's happening uh, and, and how they're 
listening to customer experiences, what they're experiencing, what they're hearing. So we get the straw man, a very loose straw man of the stages of the experience. And then the approach that I use is actually with magnetic boards because we want it to be active and to be um, a co-creation process with customers. There's a lot of companies that have actually gone on to more co-creation after this first step through some tools, which I can talk about, some online tools where the customer is actually videoing their experience, which is wonderful. Um, but this first step that we do is to include leaders on purpose, where we have the stages of the journey. Each stage is a magnetic board. And the touch points that we brainstorm with the employees are also individual magnetic strips because each of these need to be movable, and uh, changeable, and then we, we, by stage of the journey, we first say to the customer, is this the first thing you're trying to accomplish? And we'll have 10 to 15 customers in a room in a U-shaped table along with the executives, three or four executives. And as the customers are talking, what we're going to hear from them are touch points, things they need to accomplish that we didn't even brainstorm because we weren't in their head from that point of view. And in real time now, we're writing up new touch points that we then put on the board so the customers can see their words, their ideas, their needs go on these boards. You know, as I'm sitting here visualizing that process as you were talking, Jeannie, what I've noticed that I think is so important, and a lot of times people don't, uh, understand the impact of it if this is not the kind of work that they do on a consistent basis is it's one thing to understand something in your head it's another thing to see your words in front of you to allow you to start shifting into another layer of understanding and another layer of self-question and another uh, recognition of okay how does this affect me beyond just the initial thought and answer. And, and that's, that's exactly right. And the power of this, actually, is that the leaders and the customers are in the room having this conversation together. And when that happens, it changes everything because it becomes this very, very collaborative thing. And leaders can say, well, tell me more. Why are you feeling that? But here's the important thing, based on connecting back to what you just said, is that we coach the leaders. You need to ask clarifying questions. You can't defend, deny, or explain away what the customer is feeling. Rather, this has to be around understanding the customer by asking clarifying questions, not trying to get validated what you need or what you think is important. And that's the difference. You, you, people have to come to the table completely open to listening and understanding versus validating and hearing. I'm so glad you reinforced that piece right there because I think that is so key and pivotal to helping listeners understand the difference of what happens beyond just that intellectual understanding. And what I've noticed as we're going into 2018, um, with all the things that happened in 2017, both professionally and personally, even the message that I'm creating around leadership keynote presentations is more about understanding the impact of embodying a message and embodying traits and, and, and understanding those behaviors so that it's literally a part of who you are and you've learned it and you recognize it and you reinforce it versus it being something separate from you that you just observe, you either have to or choose to accept. It's a totally different way of being able to move forward with a level of confidence. And it can happen to anybody no matter what their role is in an organization, but you just really kind of hit the nail home for me there, pounding uh, it in, in, in the in the joys, holding those two pieces together, listening how you describe that. So thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad. Yes, I mean it is a shift, and and that's why it requires. You know, a lot of leaders say they're ready, and, and everybody is saying they want this. 
But our job as the chief customer officer or the CMO leading the work is to define what this means. This is a different kind of listening. This is a different way of holding the organization accountable. It is a ve- this is a very different this than what we've done in the past. So true. And, you know, one of the things that I loved, I actually flagged and uh, had that page turned to in your book, The Chief Customer Officer 2.0, was uh, on page 55, for those of you who are going to get the book, that way you can turn straight to it, where you're talking about tell the story of your customers' lives. And the very first uh, thing right there at the top of that paragraph on that page that I think is so important is, what you said that I'm sure made a lot of people uncomfortable, and it is what I loved about the economic downturn, and then you said in parentheses, okay, hang in there with me, it is, <laughs> it, that, is that it made the best companies better. And I laughed when I read that because I completely understood what you were trying to say, and you said it in a way without being um, – uh, mean to the companies that didn't get better, but it was almost like a a, a loving slap to the face. If you didn't get better, guess what? <laughs> it, it, you know what? Gosh, I'm so honored that you read that, and that is true because when you're in survival mode, what happens and what happened with these companies is they survived because they supported customers' lives. They they got to the heart of the matter, and they made the work of the business around really understanding that a customer with less coin in their pocket is going to do a few things, but the right things from the right people. Mm. Well, let's talk a little bit about what it means to tell the customer's story, because this is definitely an area that, I see a lot of people really make mistakes on because they try to do it from their brand's perspective instead of the customer's perspective. So when you talk about in that chapter, your job is to be the company storyteller of your customers' lives, to me that made such sense because, you know, being a, a fractional CMO and a leadership keynote speaker, communication and words are, I'm like so attuned to them, but sometimes people miss that. Sometimes they miss that nuance. What does it mean to be the company storyteller of your customers' lives? Well, and, and it, that's exactly right. It, it's starting with what the customer's trying to accomplish and, most importantly, pulling together multiple sources of storytelling content, Right. It's not about the survey data alone. It's not starting with a number, surely. Use your social media feedback. Show screenshots of what your customers are going through. Interview your customers and show the videos of those. Um, As I mentioned earlier, there are some wonderful companies now sending their customers out on missions and having their customers talk right in, into their into their tool uh, or their app and explaining what they're going through. Like they'll say, try to download this, and now you've got the customer saying, I tried, but here's what happened, and here's how many times I had to go through this. And it is a completely different story. And importantly also, connect the dots. So walk the, cust- the company through the life of the customer stage by stage as the customer's experiencing it versus from what the silo's perspective is. Yeah, because I've even noticed in working with startups and and the founding team that they have a hard time actually getting in their customers' heads until you, like, strip everything away from them and make them have to do it uh, as if they are the customer, literally make them have to go through the steps. The other thing that I noticed, Jeannie, is sometimes, and I'm not picking on you guys, but you got to accept responsibility for your perspective on things. I've noticed that a lot of times men focus too much on the surface answers. You know, when you say, well, what's important to your customer? Well, they want to sell more of their product. And I'm like, okay, making money is a result of doing that, but that's not the only thing that's important to them. And so helping people to understand how to deep 
dive into those questions. Can we talk about that a little bit? How how can um, companies and teams just start to ask themselves internally better questions? Well, you know, I agree. And, and again, the questions come from the understanding and the awareness. Again, you have to go out and be willing to add a couple steps before you add the question. You start asking the questions to doing the understanding. So bring your customers together and work to understand what's important in their life and what they're trying to accomplish and let that then be what, how you get closer and closer to the questions that you ask them over time. If you're thinking about surveys or whatever you're working on, the, the, people jump to, first of all, this notion of we're going to write the questions, but you've got to do a lot of listening and understanding first. And I know for you it probably feels like I'm asking you the same question in different ways, but I've learned over the 10 years of doing really great interviews with brilliant minds like yours is that the listener needs to hear it like a million different ways before they finally get it. <laughs> and that's fair. No, you're doing doing a great job asking the question over and over again. I appreciate that. <laughs> so we're sitting at the table. We're with the customer. We're learning to fearlessly listen. What is this, what, and, and we're we're taking that data, whether it's in sticky notes or magnetic pieces, so that everyone can kind of see that in front of them, both the company as well as the customer. What do we need to be thinking about after that? Well, after that, it's it's about understanding the priorities. This is the other thing that happens is everybody and their brother goes out and tries to do too much too fast, and, and the work implodes. So, Again, the the term human duct tape or glue is is really around also uniting leaders to make a decision about the few things they're going to focus on as a united team versus the many things that each group could go after if they were cherry-picking it individually. Ooh, I love how you helped us to really recognize what our next step needs to be because another question I could have asked but you just answered it is what do we need to think about so that everyone's actually working together on this versus all going back to their silos and thinking that because they're taking action they're taking um, what's the word I'm looking for efficient action Um, because that's another thing that we tend to see is we see that Everyone goes, okay, here's what you need to do, and here's what you needed to do, here's what we learned, everybody go do their thing. And it sounds to me like um, you need to be together a little longer before you try to shift that gear a little too quickly. Is that a common mistake that you see happen? It's like once they get into the fearless listening and they uncover and they discover all this information that maybe they park too quickly? Well, here's why. You hit the nail on the head again, and here's why. The accountability engine in organizations is alive and well, right? We live by what? The red, yellow, and green dots. And as in the traditional way of a CEO meeting where he he or she goes around the room and says, marketing, operations, sales, each leader needs to present, here's what I was asked to do and here's where my dot is. I'm on yellow or red or green. And these yellow or red or green dots are attached to individual silo-based actions because we want to get a move on. We're focused, so we need to do something. And sometimes our desire to get moving impairs our ability to pick the right thing and ensure that what we pick actually is something that we can improve correctly. Yeah, it just seems that being able to prioritize that uh, in a meaningful and a mindful manner instead of the way you used to. So it's almost like they need to remember that this process is going to be different from beginning to end than anything they've done before so they don't bring bad habits with them and try to overlay it or am I thinking weirdly today? No, no, that's exactly right. 
Well, Jenny, what have you noticed since last year when we had a chance to interview you? Has anything changed in the space? Is there something that um, you've uh, either observed or, or watched happen between uh, companies and customers that would um, maybe even, let's go this far out to say, give hope to companies that everyone's starting to learn how important this is and therefore they're showing up in a really different way when they choose to do it? Well, a couple things are happening. First of all, the awareness, appreciation, and desire to do this work has escalated 12-fold, I guess I would say. Customer experience is much more understood now, but understood in terms of something you need to do to grow your business, as a result, which is good. So yay, good for everybody that you're focusing on it. But what's happening is, again, in this desire, people are starting many, many things without necessarily creating the framework that we talked about, leadership engagement, the how, and focusing on a few things. And so the caution is don't do too many things and just we need to continue to make sure we're connecting the dots on the organization and focusing so that it doesn't feel like a lot of busy work that we then abandon later. Mm. Yeah, because I certainly don't want uh, any of our listeners to spend the time moving forward and gaining some traction, but then getting frustrated and, and not continuing with the process because it's a process and transformation is not something that just, downloads in your brain and boom, you're, you know, the guru knowledge of everything in your space with your customer. <laughs> so sometimes right. patience is, is a factor that needs to be remembered too. Oh, well, my patience goodness. And focus, patience and focus, I would say, are the two big. Well, Jenny, what would you like to leave our listeners with today since we definitely have had a very great second conversation. It's been a nice deep dive into another aspect of the importance of customer-driven uh, growth engine. What, what is, there, is there, you know, beyond the fact that if they haven't got a copy of the Chief Customer Officer 2.0, uh, would you uh, give them to, to kind of move forward with in 2018? Well, you, you know, he, he, I would suggest if you're going to do this work, Break it into bite-sized pieces. The reason I, I have written the book is to help you find that it's achievable. The other thing I would suggest besides getting the book is uh, listen to my podcast, which I have been interviewing. I think I'm on my 90th show now. I've been interviewing people leading this work around the world so they can tell their story around what's working and what's not. And what we're finding is people are loving these conversations because each one is an, a little recipe card and some hope. And from people's mouths, people on the feet doing the work same as you, how they've accomplished it, where they've hit the wall, these are just fearless conversations. I think you'll enjoy them. And then if I can – I would love to also let everyone know I have a new book coming out in 2018, which tries oh, cool. to simplify this. Uh, yeah, tries to simplify this work at its very basic level. Would you like to know what it's called? What's it called? Would you do that to your mother? <laughs> oh, I'm laughing heartily because I'm actually dealing with some interesting things with a mother <laughs> right now. She's in early stage. Well, this is really, yeah. A, yeah, well, this, <laughs> this is around engaging the organization in asking a decision question at their personal level, in their team level, and at a leadership level. Look, we're doing a lot of things to, for, at customers are we doing them for the right reasons and are we overcomplicating? And it's, it's a simple way. It's organized very operationally. There's over 32 case studies in there. Um, it's my gift back to our wonderful 
community to help you have another toolkit to gain to gain traction. So when's it going to be released, Jeannie? It's on Amazon now on pre-order, and it it comes out May eighth, right before Mother's Day, on purpose. <laughs> oh, that's perfect! I love it. Oh, I can't wait to read it. I want to thank you so much. You know, we we talked about this last year. We we you and I both had a feeling we were going to need to have you back, and uh, we were right on the money. Listeners raised their hand and said, "Can we can can we learn some more from her?" So we will go Aww. add your podcast link to uh, the show notes, you know, next to your picture where everyone can see how to go buy a book and how to connect with you on Twitter and all that jazz. And uh, I look forward to uh, getting a chance to read your new book, too. So thank you so much for the work you do. Oh, you're welcome. It, you know, the whole reason I'm doing this work now is to help this community, our brave community, uh, to to get this work done, it's it's just been the joy of of my professional career. So thank you for having me, and um, stay tuned on my website. We'll be starting to put a lot more information about the new book soon. We also have a whole campaign around this called hashtag Make Mom Proud, um, where people will be able to post a picture of their mom and something they've done in their company to improve customers' lives that would make their mom proud. Oh, girl, you're a marketing genius. I can't wait. We'll, we'll, have well it'll be it. fun. And thank you for everything you do, by the way. You bet. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank so you. you. Have a good heard day. It straight from Jeannie. She's got a new book coming out. So I'm going to tell you now, make sure you go grab a copy of Chief Customer Officer 2.0. You are definitely going to want to start putting into action some of the things that she teaches you in each of those chapters and just take it systematically by the chapters. Um, she's brilliant in creating her work. Well, you know, here's another question for you. Have you visited or participated in a Startup Grind Fireside Chat yet? I want to encourage you to reach out and find out what's happening in your city or country with Startup Grind because you're going to find a group of enthusiastic entrepreneurs and investors who are looking to create profitable business and affect positive change in the world. As a matter of fact, in Houston, we're doing something really cool and fun for you in February for those who can't make it out to the global conference in Redwood City in California. You can go to the Canon here in Houston and watch the main stage live stream and co-work for those two days that the conference will be going on which is Tuesday and Wednesday, the 13th and 14th of February. Well, it's time for us to shift over and talk to Yard Akalu, our favorite expert on the future of workforce. So please join me in welcoming Yard back to Breakthrough Radio. How are you doing, Yard? Hey, Michelle. How are you? Happy New Year to uh, to you and to our Breakthrough uh, listeners. You bet. You just got back from CES with your own uh, startup and that great product you put together, Alcove. Tell us just real quickly so we don't eat into too much of your time for your your segment. What was that like for you guys? Ah, uh, wow, bananas! <laughs> it was uh, it was really <laughs> electrifying, really to uh, to experience that. Uh, that was my first time attending CES. And not only attending, uh, we exhibited and connected with literally people from all over the world uh, that responded pretty well to, to Alcove, uh, fortunately for us. So we're following up with well, uh, folks we met. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, you know, launching officially in, in March and keeping that moving and progressing. Well, tell us why do we need to be thinking about freelancing in a really, really different way? What are you trying to teach us this month? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this. I, I talk to so many people about work uh, with this show and uh, with Alcove, and you know the the trends and forces that I've seen uh, looking back at 2017. There was just dots that I wanted to connect for our listeners, and I thought it would be a good way to kick off the new year. I I love this time of the year because, you know, not only do we spend time with our loved ones during the holidays, but it's really a, a moment for me personally to pause and um, kind of prepare for the new year and set new goals and, and work in life. So uh, I thought it would be a, a great time to kick off my, my three-part series, my latest three-part series on on the future of workforce. 
And this one uh, is starting off with my title, The Freelance Work is the Future of Work. And I, I, I broke it into three sections. And I just wanted to kind of set the stage, if you will, uh, where most of us has probably nauseam last year. Uh, but there's some other things that I wanted to point out, like uh, shared co-working spaces, uh, seeing phenomenal growth. Um, others like uh, the talent market uh, spaces, almost hitting a tipping point that offers just about any type of expert you can imagine for hire on demand. And, uh, you, know, you know, as we see this shift from tenured-based employment uh, giving rise to this talent on demand, um, I think that there was going to be a real shift in how people approach their careers. So it's all about just informing, inspiring, and preparing our listeners to uh, to see what uh, is, is coming ahead of us. So uh, I want to break um, today's segment out into a, um, a kind of a, a, a part about three reasons why people freelance today. And then next month, We'll talk about aspects of, of being your own boss uh, as a freelancer and there are many things that uh, you have to consider. And then uh, finally, I'll share some perspectives on, on freelancing from people that I've started to interview for this series. And you, you'll definitely want to tune into that one, especially as I've, I've already uncovered some of those uh, gotchas that even surprised me. So by the end of this uh, three-part series, my, my goal for many of you tuning in today is to you know consider integrating freelancing into your work almost as a as a side hustle of or or um, you know experiment if you will if nothing else but to test some theories and insights that I've shared uh, during the series uh, to arrive at your own conclusion and and I say with that we we dive right into it Michelle uh so three yep, reasons dive in. why make sure you leave me yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, just yeah, make sure yeah. you leave me at least 60 seconds to close out. <laughs> you got it. You got it. So three reasons why people freelance today. First and foremost, I, I you know, kind of a, a given, but it's really the obvious, flexibility. Yeah, overwhelmingly, freelance work enables uh, individuals the flexibility to plan their work around their lifestyle. And uh, I'm a big proponent of this because Technology today affords us, you know, the convenience of, of plugging in at any time. And our mobile devices, you know, for good and bad, uh, keeps us accessible no matter where we are. And as uh, last, at the end of the year uh, show that we had in December, I, I think it was for that very reason that our very own Stuart Rogers of uh, Breakthrough Radio has uh, traded in his full-time hat as a journalist in the U.K., for uh, for a digital nomad role with his company, and I'm going to suspect or predict that his articles are probably going to uh, become that much richer in content. So, uh, Stuart, if you're listening, good for you. <laughs> so, but but why why are people seeking alternative work experience? You know that's the question, and and I argue that even with our salary positions, our training, our benefits our vacation time, no other time in corporate America has the employee been uh, more disengaged. You know, like why? Why are employees still forced to come into the office at fixed times in one location? Why do we work in uninspiring spaces? Why do we have to deal with office politics or a multitude of interruptions and distractions? And, and, and you're telling me I'm supposed, I'm supposed to be productive and innovative in this type of setup? And, you know, really it's the reason why shared spaces like uh, WeWork or, or Convene that offers a workspace as a service model or even our Houston-based uh, shared spaces like you just mentioned, you know, the Canon and, and others like uh, Station Houston are crushing it. Uh, I, so on our site at uh, my company, El Get Alcove, we have a running workplace survey. And initial findings – really just reaffirm, uh, you know, what we're talking about today. Uh, we've got about 14% of respondents work at a company office, while 32 work at home, 32%, and 21% at coffee shops. So they're a mixture of full-time employees, 
part-time, freelance, and all mm-hmm. of the above. What was really surprising about this survey, or at least the initial uh, results, is that creativity happens at different times for people. And the second highest percentage was at night for respondents. So if we just digest that for a moment, any organizational leader listening in, what impact on productivity and innovation can that percentage have on your products and services that uh, that's, in, that's being impacted because you're not offering flexible working hours? You know, that's things that we're going to have to address. And so uh, moving on to the third, uh, excuse me, the second reason why people freelance, the Internet. <laughs> I've alluded to this earlier at the top of our segment, but, you know, we have talent marketplaces that provide global curated sourcing of the brightest individuals and agnostic to time, place, or space. And you know, we're not talking about the roles of freelancing past. Uh, you know, you need a lawyer on demand, visit axiomlaw.com. You, you want to you wanna hire an M&A specialist, log on to gocatalan.com to hire top talent uh, to assist you with stru- structuring a new deal. You know, this is where we're at, Ca- uh, caliber talent that you only pay for the service you provide and nothing else. No additional training, no comprehensive benefits, no vacation time. And, you know, during my research, when I read the statistic that the average corporate employee is productive for only 3.29 hours of an eight-hour day, it's only a matter of time before companies adopt this paradigm. And do I dare say eliminate full-time employment altogether? And that's a bold and controversial statement. And believe me, I'm saying this only because if half of it's true, we should be paying attention. But it brings me to my number three reason people freelance, and that's seeking meaning and purpose in their role. You know, the the path of work after graduation, uh, I'm Gen X, you know, was about from college, used to mean graduating, coming to work, quote unquote, on time at eight and doing a good job, working in one area for a period of time, demonstrating stability, uh, or uh, as long as your manager told you, you know, be patient, buy your time, and eventually you'll be rewarded with a new title, more responsibility, and a raise in salary. And those roles didn't necessarily match with one's personal goal. You know, one, one of the things that burned into my psyche was listening to a lawyer telling me that their job was pure drudgery. Can you imagine existing like that? You know, getting paid, right? Lawyers make great money, great salaries, but every day is a drag. And and there has been a shift. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd say blame or thank, especially with the millennials uh, becoming the majority in the workforce in the coming years. You know, there's a motivation to align meaning to their work. Um, they want to work for a company that has a genuine mission statement and demonstrates it through their action with an authentic employee experience. You know, millennials are, I won't say gladly, but yeah, they are taking less salary to have more time to integrate ta- travel uh, with work or allocate time to tackle societal issues and many, many uh, more reasons that define uh, one's purpose. So if, if I'm going to share a takeaway for employees today, uh, it's not whether or not you'll be freelancing in the future, but when you'll be freelancing. Take the time now while you, you, know, you have a so-called comfortable uh, position. Take the time now to understand the implications and, and proactively prepare yourself for project-based roles as a matter of consequence for this new paradigm. And for my, my, my organizational leaders, managers, uh, you know, if one in three uh, people are freelancing today, what is your hiring strategy to fold this type of worker into your hiring mm-hmm. pi- pipeline tomorrow? And so I know we have uh, only uh, a minute or two left, but you know this is this is a kind of a, a, a primer for what the series is is going to cover um, um, uh, regarding freelancing and. You know, it concludes our talk for today, but really, let's let's continue. I want to hear from people. 
You can uh, email me directly at yarid at getalcove.com. You can tweet me after this message. As always, my motivation on this show is to equip our listeners with a new mindset for how they approach their careers and eventually life as work and life continues to merge. So stay tuned for next month as I dig into uh, part two of our series on freelance work is the future of work. Well, I want to thank you, Lord, for that fantastic segment. I'm looking forward to the other two pieces of the series. And because your feedback is important to the entire team, our intention is always to bring you guests and topics each week that expand your knowledge and inspire your actions to grow your business. You can always email us at thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com and let us know who you want us to bring on, who you want us to bring back, what you want us to talk about. So this is Michelle Price here with Breakthrough Radio, delivering you the best business minds each Monday live. I'm coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with you a business down the street or around the world, telling your dynamic story, attracting your ideal customers. We will talk with you again next Monday. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.